the second pick, the Philadelphia Eagles select Donovan McNabb, quarterback, Syracuse University. Don't boo. Hello again and welcome to another edition of the Philly Frenetics podcast, another late night recording session. John, you got me in here recording really late tonight, so let's skip all the pleasantries. What are you drinking? Because I'm drinking coffee. You got me in here all hours of the night. I I mean, I'm sure you have a good reason, but I got the coffee out. It's going to be a late night for me. What about you? Uh, Water, because I'm going to bed after this. (laughs) What are the chances that that I finish editing and everything before you've woken up for for your day tomorrow? <laughs> it's kind of fifty fifty. We'll see. I, I, I mean, I, I think you usually get done around like four in the morning, so we'll see. <laughs> We're trying to make sure we squeeze an episode in before Game Two of the Eastern Conference Semifinal starts. John, I know you had some off the court commitments the last few days. Happy birthday to your loving and patient and understanding wife. Congratulations to her for another trip around the sun. Congratulations to you for, uh, I don't know, being a good guy. Good for you. I had no sorts of of responsibilities like that. I just sat here patiently waiting. I'm not going to lie. I took a nap earlier. I should be good to go. (laughs) I mean, did you do anything fun for the birthday? I, you know, went, went to the movies. Not much else outside of that. But, you know, a good time was had by all. Well, that's a great segue. A good time was not had by all last night as the Sixers fell in game one. But, John, it's been a while since we talked, almost a week exactly, a little more than a week. The last time we talked, I made the boldest of bold predictions. I predicted NBA history. I said the Sixers were going to be the first team to blow a 3-0 lead. Somebody heard me, and I was wrong. Now, this is where we we discuss the obvious, that I was just trying to you know, put the reverse jinx on things. If sure. I say there's oh, no way sure. they're going to yeah. win, they, uh-huh. they, will, they will go and win. That's not true. I, no, no, exactly. No, I, I, am, I am confessing that when, when we sat down to record that right after game five, I did not think they were going to win another game. Now, I don't want to call out another fan base, but from what I've read from some some people who may be more in tune with the Raptors fan base th- than we are, not a great performance from the Toronto fans on Tuesday, or rather Thursday night, I guess it was. I was expecting a raucous cauldron that the Sixers were just going to melt down early and never recover. Maybe kind of what happened in last night's game a little bit. It didn't happen the Sixers won by 35 in game six. Did you get a chance to watch the whole game, John? Of course, start to finish. Yeah, see, so what happened was that game started at 7 o'clock. I'm used to Thursday night games starting at 8 o'clock. Oh, now I remember. Thursday is bowling night. So before before bowling, Priorities. I'll usually lay down or, or take a nap or just kind of stretch out or whatever. I dozed off ready to, to watch the Sixers at 8 before I left. To my horror, <laughs> I awoke to a 62-61 score. I wasn't, I wasn't horrified about that. I, I missed the entire first half of the game. By the time I got everything together, 
turned the TV on and was watching, it corresponded to a 17-0-6ers run. I'm wondering if maybe that has something to do with the team's failure to win last night since I watched the game. But I, I didn't get to see the first half of Game 6. I, I don't think the first half of Game 6 matters all that much. In the third quarter, the Sixers did what you know a team trying to close the team out should do, and they ran away from the Raptors. And then they continued to run away from the Raptors until a very specific point in the fourth quarter that, of course, we're going to talk about. But how did you feel watching that game? Was there ever a sense of, I don't know, calm or or, or relief from you? Like, okay, they're going to no, win this. Un- no, until that's a ridiculous the, until question. Until the clock said zero. I know. <laughs> Honestly, though, that third quarter was really fun to watch. Um, again, we're, we're starting to see the emergence of Tyrese Maxey you know, not consistent at this point in his career, but another great performance that is showing us like eventually he might be, you know, that kind of guy. Uh, James Harden, he had some life to him. That I think that was uh, the bigger thing. Even he had some, we saw I, the James Harden that we thought we traded for. I, I kind of he still doesn't seem like he's all there. Um, I kind of wondered post game five. Joella made some comments about how he has to shoot, and some people thought that was, I think, shots of the coach. I don't think that was shots of the coach. I, I think that was him trying to light a fire under his teammate to say, hey, like, hey, you know, you, you got to step it up, a, you know, from what you've been doing. And, you know, to his credit, he did, and they won. And, I, you know, we're going to get to it, but... A lot of people are on Doc Rivers for leaving Joel in uh, that deep in the game. I'm not going to get on him for that because I think they were just at the point where you can pull him out. Uh, you're you're trying to close out a team. you got to step on their throat, especially on the road. I, I, I think the next time there was a, a dead ball, he probably would have taken them out then, him, both Embiid and Harden. So I'm not gonna get on him for that. That's that's a hindsight 2020 thing, but I I think what is fair to criticize for the whole team is this is the kind of thing that happens when you don't close out a team the game before. So in a way, this is kind of just desserts. And while I I do feel sorry for you know fans, you know them that you know that that we you know we are missing Joel Embiid, you know at some point. This is this is why you win that game at home because then this doesn't happen. You get to rest up, you don't risk more injury. It's just done. You, you know, I can't feel sorry for them any more than that because they really did kind of walk into the situation. Counterpoint: A player like Pascal Siakam is going to take the same shot at Embiid in Game Five if they're up that he did in Game Six. A guy like that, the way he's shown himself to be in that series. He's gonna he's gonna do what he's gonna do. I'm I'm for the most part with you on the Rivers criticism there. Like he said, their guys were still in, so I gotta leave my guys in. Counterpoint there: thirty points is a lot with four minutes to go. <laughs> um, but back to the Harden thing. Joel Embiid didn't say anything that we didn't also say right after the game. Right, it, it was obvious that the way Harden played in Game Five was not the way that is if he plays that way, this team's not going to succeed. 
the way he played in game six, that's the James Harden that, like I said, that we all thought we traded for. The concern, obviously, is that he may believe he can flick a switch and turn it on whenever he needs to. Then the question becomes, did you not think you needed to during game five? Right? And it seemed like he tried to do it during game five and just couldn't hit a shot. So that's that's the concern. And I know you're you're thinking right now about the $40 million or whatever that they might have to pay him in the next coming couple of years. <laughs> whatever the point is that you know maybe he's playing himself out of one of those contracts i don't know but it's it's good to see that it's still there but the the question like i say is the injury still a thing and if not then why aren't you playing like that every game and that will come up again when we talk about game one last night in a minute so I go to pick up my buddy to go into the to, to, to go to bowling on Thursday night and we're listening to the incomparable Tom McGinnis in the car. And, you know, enjoying the fact that not only are they eliminating the Raptors, they are humiliating them in front of their home crowd. Right? After the way this series is gone, the Sixers needed this, the fans needed this, etc. We walk into the bowling alley and most bowling alleys now are very similar. You know, the area where the pins are, you've got the monitors where the scores are kept and there's televisions up there. And we walk in and I see referees looking at a monitor and I know what time of the game this is. And I said, Oh God, they have to be reviewing a flagrant foul. I bet Siakam took a shot at Embiid or something. And then they show Joel Embiid getting tended to. And I'm like, he did it. Like he actually did it. Apparently, Joel Embiid said to a reporter after the game, I think he broke my face. Like, apparently, he actually said that to somebody. Kind of joking, and then he's like, no, I'm, uh, I'm serious. No, I'm serious. I think he broke my face. And then he was he was seen afterward, like, he was talking to Siakam. Like, they're countrymen. I, I know that they probably go back a little bit, especially, you know, when they played in the playoffs a few years ago. I, I It's just completely inexplicable to me how, on that play, Joel Embiid was called for the foul at first. Apparently, it's it's against the rules to to have your face broken, and then they go and they make it a common foul against Siakam. You came around last week to the no one likes us thing, you know the league hates Philly. Are you all in now, John? Because I have yet to see a fine for Nick Nurse or Pascal Siakam, or a suspension for any of that. The only discipline handed out during that series was that fifteen thousand dollar fine to Joel Embiid. Are you all in? No, I, to be honest with you, I, I just need to string you along just a, a little longer because I'm kind of mad at you. What what has to happen? Because oh, you I think, think I put it out into the world? Well, it already he, happened before I predicted it. Here's the thing: <laughs> I was I was working like a three and a half hour event like late in Friday night, and then I had to you know drive like three hours and then get ready for something early the next day. And you know what I didn't need? A text message from you where I didn't even open it because I read the link <laughs> that talked about that injury. And you know what? That put me in a bad mood. I was in a good mood, and then I saw that, and then I was in a bad mood. And then, and then, the next day I woke up and saw that the Phillies had been no hit. I totally missed <laughs> both of those things. So, happy Saturday morning, and I partially blame you. Partially. Look, John, wouldn't you rather hear bad news from someone that... Well, I was going to say someone that you care about. Let's say someone that cares about you than being blindsided by it. 
No, I would just rather not hear it at all. <laughs> well, I would have rather turn on the game <laughs> on Monday and been like, oh, why isn't Joel and B Where's playing? Where's Joel and B? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, you're not the you're not the only person that I uh, that I told about. It, it's funny. The previous Friday, I had gotten a message from the buddy I went to bowling with about the ligament, the thumb ligament injury, <laughs> and then I guess I got to play the uh, the messenger that you wanted to shoot <laughs> about this one. Very quickly afterward, they they it's the, the story came, so the story came out the day after the game, and it seemed like pretty close pretty quickly afterward. It was like it doesn't seem like it's as bad as the last one, but he's got a mild concussion, so he's going to be out a few days, and then we'll see what happens. Now they're saying he didn't go to Miami; they think he could be ready for Game Three. So that means the Sixers go to Miami. They have to win one of the first two games of the series. Last night, game one, Kyle Lowry's out for the Heat. A prime opportunity. Sixers lead by one at halftime after getting steamrolled early. They led into the third quarter. And at one point, I believe, Tobias Harris makes a, a, a transition layup. It's, I think, 61-60. to 60. And from that point forward, you talk about the wheels falling off. The wheels fell off, they they rolled away, they exploded, the car flipped over a dozen times. Sixers lose, 106-92, and it really wasn't even that close. John, what was your instant reaction from last night's game? <sighs> um, Mine too. That, yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Good night, everybody. Um, it, you know, I texted you halfway through the game. Uh, right as the Heat were really starting to pull away, it just seemed like they were too reliant on threes. You know, Tobias Harris, who, you know, he'll never hit that max contract status, but this stretch right here, like this last series and a half, or ser- series plus, he's he might be the most consistent player on the floor, on, on both ends of the floor. You know, phenomenal defense. You know, I think for a while he's their only sort of change of pace guy offensively. You know, he can hit the three, but his mid-range game was was underutilized. Like, they, they just, um, as you said, kind of developed into, like, a college team where, right. like, all they're doing is, like, shooting threes. How often do you see a college game? A team gets five points down. They're, they're two baskets behind, and suddenly it's three-pointers and nothing else. That's what the Sixers did last night. They, they, they got behind, I, I I think it was literally five points. The Heat may have scored, may have gotten some free throws that next possession, and then it was just bombs away. I, I say bricks away because I don't think they hit any of them. Did I see they were 6 of 34 for the game from three-point range? Something like that? Just constant missing. And to your point about Tobias Harris, he, he's had a, a really good playoffs the first seven games. But if he's your best, most consistent player, you're not getting out of the second round. Now, I don't know that I agree with you. I think Joel Embiid, yes, he had a down half in game one of the series or, or game two of the Raptors series. There was that one series where he didn't, one, one game where he didn't score in the first quarter and he had 19 in the other. But I, I, I still think that he was basically above reproach for the most part during that series. As he also sure, be. I, I, that, that could be one but, of those things where it's like you don't vote for Mike Trout for MVP because you you, you just yeah, get tired. He's, of, he's raised his yeah. own bar, yeah. But after that, absolutely, Tobias Harris has been 
their their most reliable guy. And if that's the case, I don't think they can succeed. And that's it's just Tyrese Maxey isn't there yet with the with the night in night out yet stuff. James Harden is. I, I've used this quote all the time. Aaron Rodgers talked about his future. He called it a beautiful mystery. I've taken to using that to to, to, to describe some things. I, this is not quite a beautiful mystery. What's the opposite of a beautiful mystery? A terrifying mystery. James Harden is a terrifying mystery. He's an enigma right now, right? And and Maxie is a second-year guy. Tobias Harris is just a reliable veteran who is doing reliable veteran things, but unfortunately they need somebody to, to do more than that and that I don't want him to have to try to push to do that because then that that will ruin everything that he's done so far you know they, they need him to be exactly the guy he's been they just need one of those other two guys to get up closer to Embiid's level than Harris's level no when when Tobias is I would say like when he is the number three or four guy on your team and he and he's playing well as the number three or four guy you're doing really well as a team. When he's your number two guy and you need to have him maybe push to be the number one guy, that's that's a bad sign. Yeah. A lot of people wanted to blame Doc Rivers last night as well. Are you detecting a theme in Philadelphia uh, about the way the team played? I, I, I saw a column from David Murphy today uh, in the Enquirer, and his point was that Doc Rivers looks like a guy that doesn't have any answers because there aren't any. The idea that the Sixers are just screwed without Joel Embiid. And he's got a really good point. What they had to give up to acquire James Harden was the the best backup center that they've had during Embiid's time here. And maybe ever, really. Maybe <laughs> if you think about it. <laughs> and you can't just replace that with DeAndre Jordan as we've seen. And you obviously can't replace it with Paul Reed either. So you mentioned the point I made about them being like a college team. A college coach, when his team starts jacking up threes and a five-point deficit turns into a seven-point, ten-point, twelve-point deficit, can call timeout and bench players and, and, and kind of basically discipline guys in games. A, a pro coach can't do that. Doc Rivers can't call timeout, yank James Harden and say, sit down. Because then James Harden checks out forever and he's the guy that they're going to side with and keep over you. You got to try to figure out a way to win the series. If he checks out, if you lose another one of your veterans because you yelled at him for shooting, like you can't do that in the NBA the way you can in college. So I don't know what people expected Doc Rivers to do last night. The answer there is not play DeAndre Jordan. B-ball Paul, can we stop with this? All that guy does is get in foul trouble. The reason that DeAndre Jordan has to be on the floor as long as he does when Joel Embiid's not there is because Paul Reed can't stay on the floor. Like, why Why is it? I, I'm telling you, Steve Reed, no one cares about, but he's B-ball Paul, so everybody is all like, oh, B-ball Paul so much better than DeAndre Jordan. I, look, I don't, I don't care about your plus minus at this point. I get that DeAndre Jordan was out there and and those are the minutes where they basically lost the game. Who are you putting out there? Because Paul Reed's not the answer. Not right now. Not in the year of our Lord 2022 with an NBA championship on the line. Doc Rivers is absolutely right. This is not the Paul Reed victory tour. If he can't stay on the floor, I I, I told you this during game six. 
He comes into the game and he's in for a small stretch while I was awake and before I had left. And he was out there. He committed an offensive foul, a defensive foul, and missed a layup. That's like if I was on the floor in place of Joel Embiid, exactly what I would have done. When when you're talking about value above replacement, and replacement is me, you do not belong on the NBA floor. Can we stop with the Paul Reed thing? First of all, <sighs> I think all you need to know to answer your question is I was driving around on Sunday. It's just going to pick up takeout for, you know, said birthday celebrations. And uh, Ruben Frank referred to him on the radio as Basketball Paul. And it just sort of oh, God. deflates everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just like the whole Brett Brown, James Butler thing. That was Basketball Paul. Yeah, it, it, it kind of Ball works. Ball in the ring, Paul. No, and you're exactly right. He, it's, not a, it's not a talent thing. He obviously has... He's, in a, he's a really good athlete. You can see it. That's why he's getting these chances. He's one of the top thousand basketball players in the world. He, he's in the NBA. Like I, I concede that. It's it's <laughs> like the relief pitcher thing. It's the failed starter thing. It's just that you, you go that it's like, well, why isn't he playing more? He he looks this good. Surely, like the the it's the coach's fault. Surely the coach is the idiot. It's like, well, maybe maybe the coach. Know something. Paul and- Reed can play center in the G League because anybody who's bigger than Paul Reed and playing center gets sent to the NBA because they're seven feet tall. Like that's <laughs> that's really what it is. And, no to offense be, I, to Paul Reed. And honestly, like <laughs> I, I hate getting hung up on plus minus. I think it's the most garbage overrated stat in sports. It means nothing. It it reflects more on who. I mean, you're you could argue it means with. everything. It's the most basic I mean, thing. <laughs> you you could, but it, you, you could, you know, but I'm not going to. <laughs> I mean, if you if your teammate if you're if if this is hockey and you know the defenseman you're paired with is awful, then and anyone who's watched Flyers hockey can relate to this. Um, John, no one's watched Flyers hockey in months. Months, at least years. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know the the other defenseman's garbage. That... The Sixers win a series <laughs> and they lose to LMB. They lose game one. The Phillies are doing what they're doing. The Eagles had their draft, and somehow the Flyers catch a random slap in the face. Gotta love it. I can't ever remember where I was going with that. But anyway, <laughs> so I so I'm not gonna get caught up with the plus minus thing. But uh, although he, he DeAndre Jordan was minus twenty two, but this is. This is what you need to know about how bad. We, we, when you was. say DeAndre Jordan was minus twenty-two, all I think of is the Scott Van Pelt. Is that bad? And Jimmy Rollins says, "Not good." <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Heat scored fifty points in his seventeen minutes. That's a lot. <laughs> and fifty-six points during the thirty-one minutes he sat. Mm-hmm. So that's all you need to know. But I think this this definitely circles back to. You know, when we were talking about this trade where the Heat sort of sat, or the uh, the Nets rather, sapped the depth from the Sixers, and we both kind of went, hmm, hey, I, I don't know about this. But in the long run, you you are kind of getting James Harden for Seth Curry and Andre Drummond. I don't right. count Ben Simmons as a trade chip at that, at that point. So it's like, okay, that kind of works, even though you realize you know, the, the fallout and the buyout market just wasn't there. So he's yeah. just kind of the best guy available. He's like, the, he's the September pickup that you hope. You, well, he's you no know, Tanahito and Gucci. I'll tell I, you that. That's always the name I think of. Always <laughs> the name. But 
you know, he's, he's that kind of guy. And if you need him to be the guy that starts a game in April, so that way Joel Embiid, a regular season game in April, so that way Joel Embiid is ready for the postseason, then fine, we don't <laughs> so care. So that he doesn't have to start a game in May. <laughs> exactly. If anything, you're improving your chances at a slightly higher draft pick next year. But when he's you know, playing key minutes of playoff game, you're kind of stuck. I, and honestly, I can't even really rip Doc Rivers for his response because what's he going to do, throw his guy under the bus? I know, it's right? The ex- it's the exact same situation that we were a year later, he's in a, a, a spot or a year after with, with, with Ben Simmons where it was kind of obvious that he had to sit him. But then also, how do you sit the second how best player on your team yeah. who is also your starting point guard? Right. So, you know, that requires some creativity that I don't think any coach has in the NBA. Creativity and roster flexibility that the Sixers just don't have right now. And you would hope that somebody... And the guy I'm thinking of, you know, he's retired by now, but but a guy like Pau Gasol, who is, and maybe Marc Gasol could fit into this sort of role, a guy who has had success, is getting towards the end of his career, can still be useful, but is okay being that 15 minutes per game backup center. And, I mean, DeAndre Jordan is that guy. He just isn't mobile or good enough anymore, right? So that's got to be their top priority in the offseason. We, we have to accept that they're going to extend James Harden at whatever price they're going to do it. They have got to find not just a competent backup, but a guy who can keep that team plus minus above zero when Joel Embiid's out on the floor. Game two tomorrow night. News came out today. Kyle Lowry is out again. So basically you're in the same situation that you were in for game one. They are without one of their starting players you are without one of yours if you can steal this game you're probably not going to shoot as poorly as you did last night I say probably because if anybody could do it it's probably this team you have another chance to steal one on the road if you get home Friday night at 1-1 and Embiid can come back you're still in this series okay Ignore the fact that B-Ball Paul said something about how the Heat are going to fold. I, I I think that was, like, that would be dumb <sighs> if James Harden said that. It's intergalactically stupid oh, for Paul Reed to say that. And, and I know we're up against the break. You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of Lomas Brown of the Detroit Lions guaranteeing a victory as an offensive lineman against the Eagles in the in, in the nineties, like that's just that's just dumb. Like that's just that that is not a smart thing to do. <sighs> well, we're gonna find out. Sixers Heat game two tomorrow night. I guess by the time people listen to this, it's tonight, Wednesday night, and I mean this series could be over by the next time we chat. What do you, what do you think we're, we're we're gonna see in the next few games? pain <laughs> yeah I you had that face I, I i've come to recognize uh how you feel just by the uh the, the the reluctance to actually say the words that i could see in your face <laughs> man i'm not feeling it i think if they were going to do it it was going to be last night i they they had a golden opportunity to come back ca- kind of catch the heat off guard i think the heat are kind of a fraud team i don't think they're going to win the title i don't think they're even going to win the eastern conference 
but but right now the are, Sixers are a bit of a fraud team too. <laughs> but they are a competitive team. James Butler will not let them just kind of roll over. I, I I think my gut is that the Heat win Game Two. Maybe Embiid comes back. Maybe it gets competitive. But if the Sixers are going to do it, they would have done it Game One. At least you know done the we're going to split here and then come back home try to win two at home and then maybe we you have something but they don't have that i just don't see it this this just has like i said at the start of the play the, the playoffs a second round playoff exit type of feel this is still not what i had in mind though yeah we can get into the uh, implications of that next week if it were to happen but i'm gonna say that they go out and win tomorrow just because one of us has to keep some measure of, of positivity. And if Joel Embiid comes back, all bets are off. I say the series goes at least six games. We'll see what happens. Sixers Heat, Game 2, Wednesday night. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the Eagles, because we kind of have to, but also there's actually something worth talking about. And we'll have our now weekly one single solitary Phillies thought of the week. So stick around. We'll be right back. here in the Philly Frenetics podcast. John, we, we said we were going to talk briefly about the Sixers because, you know, it's pretty late. And then we just went on for like 25 minutes, half hour. So let's really try to keep this somewhat short for, you know, the sake of me being able to function tomorrow. The NFL draft was the other night. The Eagles drafted Jordan Davis, defensive tackle out of Georgia. And then I want to say about eight minutes after the Sixers eliminated the Raptors, Howie Roseman told somebody to hold his beer and traded for A.J. Brown, one of the top young receivers in the NFL. So the Eagles went from having three first-round picks right in the middle of the first round to drafting one player and spending $100 million on a wide receiver. Thoughts? Honestly, you texted me like right after that. It's like, oh, I guess we're talking to the Eagles next week. I was like, well, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the NFL draft. Like, you know, I I liked the idea of you know Jordan Davis. So, and I, as I've said before, I don't watch a lot of college football. So when I evaluate it, I use the same the same ideas when I evaluate like the Major League Baseball draft. I don't know what the players are going to be like. I just like look at what the profile is and try to think about the process. I liked the process. For every player that they drafted, I liked, you know, Jordan Davis, get a great defensive tackle. Uh, dumbest take I saw was they have Fletcher Cox and brought him back, so why would you get Jordan Davis? That's the dumbest thing I've ever... Right, because Fletcher Cox see. is going to be on your defensive line for the next 10 years. Exactly. And then I liked the idea of, you know, they literally, like, hand-picked replacement for Jason Kelsey, um, regardless of if he plays next year or not. You know, having that guy there is a huge luxury. And I like the long-term focus on the offensive line. And then getting, you know, a linebacker who possibly slid just because he's like an inch or two shorter than, well, you know, the profile. Well, his pec muscles may or may not be attached to his body still. 
Well, that's a legit you know, concern. However, <laughs> minor minor detail uh, for but, a third round pick. Yeah, you know, even if he doesn't play this year, you know, in the future, if you've got that, you know, the leader of your linebacking core, actually a good linebacker. Imagine that. Um, if if you had that, then that's a steal. Re- again, regardless of whether he plays this year. Uh, so I like that set of picks. I think they, again, the the thought process seems to work. They seem to, you know, they come from championship level programs. You know, it's something we talked about last year, getting those guys. So I like that. The one I'm not entirely sure about is AJ Brown. I know there is some, <laughs> some baggage with that. Um, the one that draft pick that wasn't a draft pick. <laughs> right. That I don't really want to, uh, I don't really want to get into because I know we're trying to keep it short. Um, I, I think the smarter move might've been to trade up yet again and then get Kyle Hamilton, the, the safety. So that way you could have your, you know, you're addressing your defensive backfield, got your linebacker, got your defensive line and you're, you're all set there. I think that would have been the best strategy overall. That being said, could be a lot of touchdowns next year. I am also not a, a college football knower, although I did know Nicobe Dean's name and if I'm not mistaken, he was considered one of the, the top players, top prospects coming into this draft before the season. Like he was very, very highly regarded. And he was still expected to be taken towards the end of the first round, as evidenced by the fact that he was invited to the draft. They don't invite guys that are going to be taken in the middle of the third round to go to the draft. So. They're getting a, a first-round talent at a, a third-round price tag because of these other concerns. That's absolutely a risk worth, worth taking. Like, I know you can get a lot of high-quality guys with a third-round pick, but you kind of have to take a chance on some guys in order to get it, right? And if you're going to take a chance on somebody, this is the kind of guy you do that with. I, w- I was really happy to see them make that pick. And I don't, I don't buy into the whole, how he doesn't care about linebackers thing. Yeah, he doesn't, but I don't care. I was glad to see them take this kind of guy who was at a position where they don't normally focus. It, it showed, I don't know, some sort of like, yeah, this is a no brainer sort of mentality that, you know, we, we talked about it last year when the Eagles took Devonte Smith, they did the thing that everybody wanted them to do. The thing that made the most sense, the thing that was the most helpful thing. We're not used to the Eagles doing that, but they did it. <laughs> if you want to think about it this way, they came away with a, a, a first-round wide receiver for the third year in a row, right? Traded that draft pick and a later one for A.J. Brown. My concern with, with the A.J. Brown deal, yes, the the injury baggage that you alluded to, some soft tissue stuff, and that's usually – hamstrings don't usually get better as you age sort of thing, right? My concern is more who's throwing to him this year. I know that they're really good buddies, but – You know, I have to have some consistency of thought. And if I say that I don't think Jalen Hurts is the guy and his arm isn't the arm they need, then I feel like, are you wasting a year of A.J. Brown? And then if you have to start over with a a, a first-round caliber quarterback or a young guy, now you're paying A.J. Brown $25 million as you rebuild offensively? Like, that's the concern, right? And... It reminds me, you know, we've talked about Ryan Howard's contract extension that started after his Achilles snapped. Obviously, it's a different situation. Same kind of vibe for me. 
I'm concerned about the timing and, and you know, how they're going to be paying him a ton moving forward. And I don't know who's throwing him the ball because right now I don't necessarily believe in the guy who is, but guys like this aren't necessarily available when you want them to be. And if this is a guy you like, and they, they, they use the term believe in, this is a guy we believe in. This is a guy you believe in. You have to get him when he's available. He's available now. Well, I guess they're going for it in 2022, John. Yeah, and, and honestly, no matter what, and this will put our Eagles conversation to rest, I think the other conversation it puts to, to rest is that they're not supporting Jalen Hurts. They're not being nice to Jalen Hurts. They're, they're not giving him declaring every him the starter yeah. for the next 16 years and retiring his number automatically. It's like, you know, there's he still has to go out and earn his his pay like everyone else in America. Uh, but he definitely has the the weapons. There's no excuses now. It's on him. Yeah. And I guess we'll find out. There's all sorts of mini camps and, and spring practices and whatnot coming up. We're not going to talk about them. Other people will talk about them. We're not going to talk about them. Probably because training camp will be here before we know it. But holistically, John, I'm not looking for a letter grade here, just a general feeling. What do you give the Eagles for, for their, I'm going to say draft night, their, their draft week? I give them a thumb up. I, I think they, they they did, they they had a good good period of time. They, they, they drafted, they basically got two first-round talents with two picks and sent another pick to some someone else for, for a Pro Bowl caliber player. I really, you really can't have too many complaints. We, we tried to air a couple complaints just now, but you really can't have too many complaints. It was a pretty good 2022 draft for the Eagles. I'll give it two thumbs up. You know, <laughs> they, yeah, they continued some of the same things they did last year. You know, I like that they, you know, looked at both offense and defense in terms of bringing in top tier guys to build around. They're not just guys they're trying out. Like these are, these are building blocks. So, you know, bringing that in, you know, I, I can't argue with the logic. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, seeing how, you know, things start to shake out in the beginning part of the season. For the record, I was only giving one thumb up because I thought you'd give a thumb up and then collectively we would have two thumbs up. I got, th- I got a one up, you. Yeah. Three thumbs up isn't a thing. <laughs> touche, John, touche. Our last thing, and, and you can hear from the, the, the tone of my voice changing, you know it's time for the Phillies thought of the week. I've got kind of a positive one, and I just want to laud Alec Bohm for the start of the season he's having. Of course, he's going to fall off a cliff now that I've said that, but the thing that everybody remembers and wants to talk about is the I hate this place thing. He's really performing at the plate, and he's been fine in the field ever since that night, and a lot of times in baseball, you know, bad defense can can cause bad offense. And bad offense can cause bad defense. And he's been really good offensively, and he's he's been good defensively. He, he's just kind of in maybe a, a hot streak right now. We're seeing more of the 2020 Alec Bohm than the 2021 Alec Bohm, which is good, and that's what we needed to see. But I, I just I just think that that you know people shouldn't overlook the fact that he's actually producing, and it's not just the the. The little, I, I want to say slip up, but the uh, the uh, shocking candor he displayed during that game early in the year, you know, he he has hit more than well enough that they sent Bryson Stott back down where he should have been the whole time. 
So kudos to you, Alec Baum. And please don't make me sound like a fool a week from now. The team we will not be giving kudos to, the New York Metropolitans. <laughs> you know, they're making a lot of noise about how they're being hit. Oh, my God. And it's <laughs> so annoyed. This is like Nick Nurse complaining about fouls or Phil Jackson complaining about fouls on steroids. Teams aren't throwing at you. Some of it's a coincidence. And also, you can back up off the plate. Like, yeah, If I you're think, tired of getting hit, stop crowding the plate. And If you the, want to crowd the plate, that's fine. But you're going to get hit. It for, happens. For Nobody me, is throwing at the Mets. For me, these frustrations go back to last season when Michael Conforto definitely leaned uh-huh. into a pitch with all that body armor on. Yeah. And, you know, that was the end of a game. You know, I I get it, you know, especially after, you know, a decade plus of cheering Chase Utley for, you know, leaning into pitches, albeit without the body armor. Uh, I get, you know, try to, you know, to steal a win for your team. But this is just something... I think Buckshaw Walter, being the veteran guy that he is, is just using this as a way to kind of get his team, you know, t- together to to bond over something. But honestly, like I, I, I think the more they talk about it and the more they make it a thing, I think then it will definitely become a thing, and people actually might start doing it. Yeah, it's going to be a self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Well, I, that's what I was going to say on on Sunday. They, they throw at Kyle Schwarber. Nothing happens. They do it again. Then everyone gets warned. And then Alec Bohm gets hit by the same guy and nothing happens. Right? Juan Lopez should have been tossed. Well, it turns out that Buck Showalter got suspended for a game and Lopez got fined before he got sent down. He's also been suspended three games for the next time he comes up. So Major League Baseball basically was like, hey, you know, you should have been thrown out of this game. You threw at these Phillies players. You're done for a little while. So thank you to MLB. I wonder how much of that is because the Mets are going to be here in a couple days. And so the umpires didn't take care of things on Sunday night. The Phillies were going to take care of things come Friday. I I imagine that that's got something to do with it. But regardless, you know, familiarity breeding contempt. They're going to play the Mets two more series this month alone. They're going to play four of their six series against the Mets before the end of May. People will be throwing at people by the end of the month. Hopefully it'll cool down afterward, but I I wholeheartedly agree. Mets, Mets fans, shut up. I will say, John, this is the third time we've done this brief segment, and it's the second time that your Phillies thought has related to the Mets and Mets fans. Are you okay? Yeah. Are you no. <laughs> Did I say it? Yeah. Do I mean it? No. <laughs> well, the Phillies are playing the Rangers right now. I mentioned they've got the Mets. They're just hovering around that 500 mark where they've been for the last three years. I believe I saw a, a stat today that since uh, maybe the start of 2019, they've never been more than five games over or under 500. For, for more than, I think, 10 or 11 days in that you know three-plus-year stretch. And I think that pretty much sums things up to a T. The Phillies, they're 500. 
Were you expecting me to respond to that? I, 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 got, I got nothing. <laughs> I thought you might have some thoughts that might make you feel a certain way. <laughs> Again, it's the Phillies' thought of the week. This is your idea. I'm it's the Phillies' the thought of the week, not my Phillies' feelings of the week. <laughs> Maybe next time we'll do Phillies' feelings, and we'll each grab a pint of ice cream, and we'll just we'll just talk about the Phillies for an hour. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. I guess 50 minutes is the standard therapy session, right? Anyway, <laughs> that's it for the Phillies this week. That's it for the Eagles. That's it for the Sixers. We're done. It's late. We need to get the episode produced and put out. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Our website, phillyfrenetics.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at phillyfrenetics. Joel, we miss you already. Please come back soon. <laughs> Please come back on Friday. I'll see you next week, John. See you next week.